That ball's well hit to right. Did he get all of this one? Yes, he did. That's in the air to right. That's pretty deep. That ball is gone. Daniel Murphy has struck again. zone and this ball is drilled to right center field it is deep man alive Dave Daniel Murphy has homered for the fifth straight postseason game the 1-1 in the air deep right center field that ball is gone Daniel Murphy has homered in six straight postseason games. Nobody's ever done it before. Bradbury, science fiction. It's not really happening. Can't be. Eight years with this organization, the organization that drafted you. What, what is it about the connection of these fans, this fan base, that, that means so much to you? I think some of it is like you go through, the, you go through your career as a young player and they the fans here allowed me to make mistakes. I feel like that that hopefully they saw that like this guy runs the bases like he's invisible doesn't always catch the ball but he seems to want to play hard and cheer his teammates on and, and, and I can't I really appreciate how embraced um, myself and my family were and that's what I take from it. We're back. Final thoughts. You heard from Daniel Murphy. You heard some great highlights from the 2015 postseason. Seems like yesterday. So Murph is at City Field. And I know there's been some criticism of the Mets with, you know, honoring Bartolo Colon and, you know, maybe bringing back Murphy. But these are fun things. These are things that, yes, when you're out of the pennant race, when it's you can't draw flies to the stadium, it's a way to get people to come to the ballpark. Nothing wrong with that. It's not like they're bringing back Steve Beezer or Kelvin Torve here. And if you don't know who those guys are, then look them up on Baseball Reference. I'm throwing you some random Mets to uh, look back on. But I think there was a couple of things from what Murphy said, and then I was a little bit reflective on Murphy myself because I think it ties into where we are today and, and what is on my mind as David Stearns takes the podium tomorrow at City Field. First, you heard what Murphy said in the clip when he was being interviewed by Gelbs. And if you go online, you should hear the whole interview. I thought Gelbs did a nice job. I thought Murphy uh, was transparent, was honest, was humbled, and comes across as a really good guy. A guy that got criticized sometimes here because of personal beliefs he had on certain things that they roped him into conversation about. And, uh, you know, I think people made judgments about Murphy because they didn't necessarily believe in some of the same things he believed in uh, and without respecting who he is and, and who he is as a person. And I think that's unfortunate. But that's the world we live in, and it's only gotten worse, and that's not the point of this segment. So uh, Murphy talked about how Mets fans supported him and understood, despite his mistakes, what his intentions were and his desire to get better. And he, you know, basically said, I'm not the perfect player, you know, but Mets fans support helped fuel me. And we don't get that often today. And I wonder if Murphy was around today coming up 
and how poorly he performed in the outfield when he looked like he was on skates back in 2009, and he didn't have a great season. They put him at first base eventually when Delgado went down. And he had an okay season, but he was a below-league average hitter. And then here's an ironic thing about Murphy. Murphy probably never makes it to the 2015 postseason as a Met because I don't think they ever intended on re-signing him. When, you know, the Mets needed hitters, they needed players, and he was affordable. And I think that's what kept him around because they were in baseball purgatory because of Madoff. But if he doesn't get sent down in 2010 out of spring training, Jacob Mike Jacobs was on the roster to play first. Murphy goes down to learn second in spring training. And he blows out his knee in the minor leagues and I think it tears his ACL or something. And if he doesn't blow out his knee in a collision at second base, and he's in the minors when it happens, so he's not on a big league roster. So he doesn't get the service time that's necessary. He's a free agent a year earlier. They might let him walk after 2014. Murphy's not even on the 2015 Mets. And you look at him, you know, throughout his Mets career, 110, 105 OPS plus, about a 770 OPS, you know, 12 to 14 home runs, about 75 RBI. And he did get better in the second half of 2015. But nothing was a harbinger of things to come of when he became one of the best hitters in baseball over a two-year period with the Nats post-2015 playoffs. And then really what did Murphy in, and he might have had a five- or six-year run if he didn't have a very serious knee injury. I think he had microfracture surgery, if I'm not mistaken. A very serious knee injury. And once your lower half goes, I mean, that pretty much is the end of the game for you on a baseball field. You could still com- contribute, but not at the level that you're accustomed. Now, what I said earlier, what, what can we learn from Murphy? So everything that analytics tells you or everything that was the facts in front of you, let's not just blame analytics. All the facts in front of you said that Murphy was the best he could be in 2015. He was never going to get any better. That was a small sample size outlier, albeit against the best of the best, some of the best pitchers of the game, like a Clayton Kershaw and a John Lester and guys like that. You know, Jake Arrieta, he's, he's hitting the ball all over the yard against these guys, Cy Young winners and whatnot. So, you know, threw that to the side, small sample size, small sample size. Guy can't play defense. He's 30 years old. He's never going to get any better. You know what you're going to get, 12 to 15 home runs, a 770 OPS. He plays a lousy second base, made a big error in the World Series, blah, 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 blah. Those are all true. And I was supportive of it when they were going out and trying to get Ben Zobris. I'm like, ah, put, put Murphy to the side. And then ultimately it seems like it came down to signing Cespedes or Murphy. We all know at that point who'd you pick, who'd you, who you would pick. I mean, you pick Cespedes, right? Because how dynamic he was. But in the end, Murphy was the better play. And who knows? I mean, it would have been great to have both, but I don't think the Mets financially could have afforded both. And you look at Murphy going over and having a better two- or three-year run because Cespedes was hurt. Cespedes had a great 2016, but that was it. You know, Murph going out there, hitting 25 home runs, driving 100 runs, hitting 347, and finishing second in the MVP with Washington, just goes to show you that if the Mets had taken a step back and really assessed as you hear Murphy talk about the changes he made and how he unlocked that aha moment and maybe spoke a little bit to their coaches. And maybe that was what it came down to. They didn't think they could afford both. Think about it. If they didn't, if Cespedes didn't land to them that offseason, they would have lost both Murphy 
and Cespedes, and they replaced it with Neil Walker. Now, Neil Walker, from a statistical standpoint, pretty much similar to that point, better defensively. And I was all about, hey, Murph can't play defense. He can't turn the double play. Those were all things that plagued him at second base. Really, if you wanted to be fair, Murphy should have been signed with the notion that David Wright has a pretty serious injury. And you got a nice seven weeks out of him. Now, did you think he would fall off the cliff in 2016? No. But anybody who knows a thing or two about stenosis should have. And, and we've had people who called in the show, fans who have the, the, the injury, who told me back then, hey, Mike, this guy ain't going to last. I mean, David Wright didn't even last until June 1st the following year. And his career was over. Murphy could have easily played third base. He was much more versatile than people give him credit for. So the real lesson is this. Sometimes we have all the numbers. We have all the history. We have everything in front of us that tells us what a decision and how obvious a decision should be. And we think we got it all figured out because it's all there in front of us and we run with it. But the real key here is understanding the human element, which is a scary thing because you and I both know that there is no formula sometimes for gut and feel. And you can't run your entire organization with gut and feel. You have to have some foundational principles and data and history. And like I always tell you on this show, pay attention to history. You'll probably learn a little bit because it'll repeat itself and it'll give you a clue as to how things will be going forward. But not all the time. Because also part of history is understanding people and understanding that people can change and they can develop. And if anybody was paying attention to Murphy... He was starting to come around later in that year, in September, before the postseason. And if you even go, and I'll bring the splits up right here in 2015, even go to the second half of 2015, uh, Daniel Murphy had an 803 OPS and hit nine home runs. It hit 284. And in September, October, August, September, October, he was in the 850 range. He was starting to show you his OPS was ticking up into the 120, 130. His OPS plus. And he was starting to show you that he was trending towards that direction. And that's, you know, 50 plus game, period. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Now, I wasn't around in that clubhouse, and I didn't, you know, who knows what Sandy Alderson, how he consulted with Kevin Long or anybody else, but makes you wonder, you know, everybody loves Terry Collins. Where was Terry Collins? You know, those are his guys, right? Did he give his opinion on things? It makes you wonder. We all said it made sense. Go after Ben Zobris, you know, better offensive player. Murphy's hit his peak. Thank you, Murphy, who carried them to the World Series. I mean, think about it. Murphy was the, there was the pitchers, Familia, and Murphy. And you had a little bit of Duda, a little bit of Grandison, a little bit of right here and there. But the offense was Murphy. No Murphy, no World Series. He was Babe Ruth for a week. I got it right up there on my um, studio wall. The Sports Illustrated, the Amazing Murph, hanging right up there. You know, when you make the wall here in the Talking Mets podcast, you did something. Maybe you weren't a champion, but you had a significant impact on the Mets. That's what I like to put up here. I have my Knicks wall to the right, a much smaller wall. 
But three quarters of this is my Mets wall. My retired numbers, all that stuff. And Murph is up there because Murph earned it. And shame on me for not believing in him. And make sure, you know, it, it, to me, letting Murphy on a three-year, $36 million deal walk to Washington was the difference between the Mets and the Nats over the next couple of years after that. It might have been different with Murphy over in Flushing. Who knows? So one of the things that David Stearns can learn is that, and maybe this applies to Pete Alonzo. You want to poke holes in Alonzo's game? Yeah, he hits for power. He has some Kingman-esque type of stretches. You know, maybe he'll never be better defensively. He is a first baseman. He's a right-handed batter. He's getting into this, you know, mid-prime, you know, right-handed batters as they go north of 30, especially if you get a seven- or eight-year deal. God only knows what they look like north of 35. But what does Pete mean for the clubhouse? What does Pete mean for the fans? What does Pete mean for the offense in general? How many guys could go out there and hit 45 to 50 home runs and sometimes make it look easy? And yeah, it's your due diligence. It's your prerogative to go out there and shop him and find out if you could get a Herschel Walker type of package for Pete. That's Stern's prerogative. But I'll tell you what, he's already 0 for 1 in my book with Buck. But that's nothing compared to one of the first things he does is send Alonzo away for a bunch of prospects. Because as you've seen with prospects, as we've gone through the second half of this season, sometimes those 900 OPSs in uh, the International League or the Eastern League don't necessarily translate at the big league level. The game is faster, the pitchers are better, even the bad pitchers are better. You know, the guys you face, the, the scrubbinis that come out of the bullpen, maybe those are the guys you face all the time in AAA. You're only going to face them once in a while in the big leagues. The game is fast. Look at Brett Beatty, how he's learning that. So I think there's a lot to learn about Daniel Murphy. It was nice for a couple of minutes reminiscing about better days in the past. Um, and we'll see, you know, what's next for the Mets and the Talking Mets podcast. Well, I'm still going to be coming to you. Stern's press conference tomorrow at noon. I'm probably going to take about 24 hours to digest it and then come to you sometime maybe like Tuesday night. That's my feeling. And and then we'll get back on some kind of schedule. I have a very fun segment that I'm planning on doing next week. I'm going to keep that one a secret. It's a, a segment that some of you have requested. And we're going to start to dive into the off season next week. And what we usually do in October is we start to like think about some ideas. Like maybe we don't put together what the plan is, and maybe we'll hear a little bit about that from Stearns tomorrow. Hopefully, hear something other than fluff. But because I'm going to tell you right now, if I come away from that press conference, I just hear about his interning for the Mets and Omar. Like I can't deal. I'm going to scream. I really will. You might just have a podcast of me screaming for for 90 seconds. Um, because I, I I'm not going to hear the same story over and over again in the gushing of the media. Um. But we'll start to look at some players and what the fit is for the Mets. But we really need to first learn is, you know, what's the focus? You know, are they going to be diving into the Japanese market? Will they be swimming in the Otani waters? Will they be looking at taking some of these prospects they acquired or the ones they have and maybe going after a Juan Soto who might be on the block? You know, San Diego looks like they might be having a bit of a fire sale potentially where there's some financial issues with their debt ratio over there so it'll be interesting to see how that goes so don't worry we're not taking any time off and quite honestly 
when have we really been able to take time off here at the Talking Bits podcast since 2018? This is the ongoing joke. It's been five years. Yeah, last year we had a bit of a reprieve after the postseason where, you know, the Mets quickly came in and out of the wild card round. But then you had a whole rotation and all these free agents you had to address. So we were like right off the bat rebuilding the team because we wanted to get back to the promised land. So we've really never had this. Let's just take a step back. Yeah, the Mets didn't go for far as we want let's take a step back and take a blow for a couple of weeks for the hot stuff because again they got their team president they got their gm now they need a manager again they need to rebuild the rotation uh, they're gonna have to figure out the offense there's a lot of holes on this team as i said in the open there's more questions and answers on this club than at any point in the last 15 years now it's exciting because it gives you a chance to paint a whole new landscape and there's fun and there's excitement in the future hopeful future but boy, is it frustrating that we're here just 12 months after the Mets at this time last year were preparing for a wild card series against the Padres in a season where you felt you very well could be seeing a Mets team get to the World Series. Not a, 12 months later, not a place that I thought we'd be talking about. When we were talking about Correa miss, and I promise I need to stop mentioning Correa because I almost feel like that was the first sign that 2023 was going to hell in a handbag. And that turned out to be a fortuitous bounce for the Mets because now he's got plantar fasciitis and it looks like maybe the doctors knew a thing or two about a thing or two, right? So um, we'll see, but I will be with you. I will be reacting to the David Stern's press conference. My feeling is, is that will be on Tuesday. I like to give 24 hours for this stuff to marinate. You can marinate on this program a little bit. And then we're back on the rotation. I have something fun planned, hopefully, for next Sunday. We'll keep that under our hats until uh, further notice. You'll learn about that soon enough all right i want to thank everybody for joining me here as we wrap up the regular season edition of the talking mets podcast here in 2023 you could check me out all the time at the talkingmetspodcast.com you could send me a tweet at mike silva media and you can show up a podcast spotify pretty much whatever podcasting service you desire if you want to interact with me mike silva at talkingmetspodcast.com no g Mike Salat, TalkingMetsPodcast.com. You can get me on Instagram, TalkingMetsNoG. And please thank the good folks over the Fan Side Podcasting Network for supporting this show. I'm your host, Mike Silva. Enjoy the rest of your Sunday. We'll be back in a couple of days. David Stern, press conference reaction. Till then, take care, everybody.
What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? Hero Bread serves up 0 to 1 grams of net carbs, 5 to 11 grams of protein, and high fiber in every delicious serving. Made with natural ingredients, Hero Bread supports gut health, promotes weight management, and helps maintain blood sugar. Hero also drops other limited edition ultra-low net carb goodies like rich, flaky croissants and buttery brioche slider rolls. Head to Hero.co to shop today.